the midwife said at the point where her shoulders were out, I said, okay, John, you wanted to catch your baby. Come on down. She's here. Let's do this. And so he very eagerly came down. He didn't have gloves on or anything or scrubs. I remember he was wearing this very light sweater and these light pants, and he didn't have a drop of blood anywhere on him. He was just like, he just did it with it just so easily, and it was beautiful, and he put her on me. And, yeah, we just... Um, just were in awe of her for those first few moments. It was really lovely, those bonding moments. Welcome to the Positive Birth Story podcast with me, Swedish midwife Oas Holstein. Based on the stories told in the podcast so far, the key ingredients to having a positive experience from giving birth are feeling respected, being part of the decisions made, loving and supportive people around you that make you feel safe and secure, having a skilled and in-tune midwife, and having pre-knowledge about the process and or a profound trust in yourself and your body's abilities so that you can advocate for yourself and your needs and wishes during birth. Like I pointed out before, having a positive birth experience is not equivalent to everything being sunny and rosy and without bumps on the road. It's about being in the safe and loving environment where you can tap into your power and do your thing. In this episode, we'll hear Gail tell us about her two very different births that took place over 20 years ago. And I am always amazed by how crystal clear this experience is for us, even many years later. The process and the feelings that are created are timeless and never goes out of date, despite new medical procedures. This is a podcast with women for women. So Gail, it's a true joy to have you here on the Positive Birth Story podcast. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And we are in New York, in my hotel room, and we have the whole ambiance of the city surrounding us. Yes, we do. The and view. The and the view. Yeah. <laughs> you can't see that on the podcast, though. Right. <laughs> But the view is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is. You are the mother of two. Mm-hmm. And you also work as a doula. Yes, I do. And yeah. you've been doing that for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. So 20 years in May. May will be 20 years exactly, yep. And what made you decide to become a doula? I was looking for another career after being in journalism for years. And I had my daughter and I was kind of hustling to research stories and I didn't have a lot of time to spend with her. So I wanted to do something that I loved, but that didn't involve such a hustle. Something that I could pick my own hours and being a doula, you know, you can take as many or as little births as you want each month and kind of pace yourself that way. So, But you never know when they're going to give birth. That's true. <laughs> so picking your own hours is kind right. of hard too, isn't it? Right. But so, yeah, that, that was, that did prove to be tricky, but I ended up having a couple of doula friends who had little ones like I did and we would help each other out. So that did end up working, that I could actually leave my daughter down the street at my friend's house who was a doula and she could do the same for me. Oh, good. So that did work. Um, but it was something that I would say was very serendipitous. I got into it, uh, kind of timing was everything. A woman that I was friends with happened to be doing a doula training, and she'd mentioned it to me, and I said, what's a doula? Never had heard the word before, but she told me, and I said, that sounds really cool. I think I'd like to check out this training, and so I did, and I, they ended up having a spot, and I got that last seat. There were 12 of us training at the Elizabeth Seton Childbearing Center here in the city, And I graduated that weekend, and then the following week I did my first birth. It was a VBAC home birth, and that was it. I was hooked. So this interest for childbirth, have you always had that? 
I've always been fascinated by babies, yes. And when I was a little girl, I was really aware of my mom having lost uh, my little brother at 21 months. And I was about five when that happened. And so around seven years old, I went up to her one day and I vividly remember telling her that I was pregnant and I was going to have a baby. And she said, no, you're not. That's impossible. <laughs> you need a man. And I said, no, really, there's a bump here. I'm definitely going to have a baby. And I realized years later that that was probably my way of processing uh, this death of my little brother and wanting to give her a baby. Mm. And so that came out of me that way. But also maybe that had something to do with my fascination for, for little people. I always was just drawn to them. Just thought they were so cute and beautiful and yeah. My whole life, my dad used to always say, you know, you have this real fondness for little babies. It's really interesting. He thought that that might be something that I did when I got older. You do. You do yeah, do it now. Yeah, it was prescient, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you recall how your mother talked to you about birth? Yes, always very positively. I would always say, you know, what was my birth like? And she would answer, well, you came out feet first, and the doctor who was a resident and, and that delivered me, his name was Dr. Lemke, he had the same last name as us, this young guy who, because she went really quickly with me, um, and she said, he said it was a beautiful breech birth. So she said, I always remembered it was the three Bs, a beautiful breech birth. And I said, and did it hurt? And she said, oh, no, no, it was beautiful. And she always said that about her births with myself and my sister and my little brother. My little brother was born in the car on the way to the hospital. And that was just, just fast, easy labors all the way through. Yeah. So I always had that um, image in my mind of birth just being easy and painless. There was no fear or pathology attached to it. So how did you experience pregnancy? Uh, I experienced pregnancy as so joyous with my first. I was 35 years old when I became pregnant with her. And, you know, there's this big taboo about being 35 in your advanced maternal age here in the States. But that didn't phase me at all. I just knew I was ready. I had waited a while to have a baby. I had my career kind of on track. And I was very open and very ready to have a child. And my husband was too. And we had been married four years. So we had had time, just the two of us together. And we were really excited to welcome her. We found out she was a girl and yeah, really just thrilled to be becoming parents and start a family. So did you do any specific preparation for that birth? Um, not pre-pregnancy, just, you know, wishing and hoping and praying for a baby and then initiated into prenatal yoga with that, with that pregnancy because um, I had a yoga studio down the street from my house and I just one day went on a Saturday and just I was hooked with yoga then too. That was my initiation into breath work, just how to breathe for two and how to breathe to calm your parasympathetic nervous system and how to move in your body and mimic the moves that you might have in labor, all fours and child's pose and how to be strong and in, in command of your physical body and breathe through that. So that was um, profound. And I didn't know it at the time that I would become a prenatal yoga teacher, but that happened too, years later. Mm. Yeah. So I'm happy that you're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system, yeah. because I love that nervous system. Mm -hmm. And that's the nervous system that is active when we give birth. Right. That's why it's so good to uh, turn down the lights, mm -hmm. to have people talking to you mm -hmm. in soft voices. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And that's to do all safe. the things that we do to feel safe and secure and calm. Mm -hmm. 
exactly. Yeah, so important that the lights being dimmed down are not mm. just for aesthetic. They're because they support birth physiology and they yeah. bring those hormones in, those birth hormones, the beta endorphins and the oxytocin is when you feel safe and not observed. So when the lights are low and not bright clinical lights and the hushed voices, that makes all the difference. Yeah, so turn down the lights mm -hmm. when it's time for birth. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So can you recall where you were when labor started? Yes, I was at home in bed, lying down, deeply asleep, and then just suddenly awoke with something that felt like I had to pee. So I went to pee, and that wasn't it. It was actually my water had broken. And I told my husband that, and he rolled right back over and went back to sleep and said, no, that's not it. It can't be. And then he said, okay. It, it probably is because we're totally unprepared. This is two weeks before her due date, and we don't have a bag packed. We haven't even thought about this. It was the holidays. It was right after the new year. So we were just, we said goodbye to some friends who left the day before I went to the airport with them. And so we're like, okay, now we have two weeks to just kind of, you know, get ready for baby. And my water broke that, that night into that early morning. Yeah, so that's, that's, that was the start. And that was, you know, we were planning to have a baby at the birth center, but we wanted to stay home as long as we could, which is how we were educated about labor, to stay home as long as you could. And so we were there for about 18 hours and I started to have some mild contractions, but nothing felt too major. But I wasn't surprised by that. I thought that because it was easy for my sister and my mom, that it was, I was going to mimic that physiology and it was going to be fast and easy for me too. And I was quite humbled to find out that that wasn't necessarily true. That doesn't mean that just because your mom and sister had those births that you were going to be the same. And I was older than my mom and my sister too, by 10 years or so. So yeah, then as it progressed, you know, we ended up needing to go at 18 hours. There's a cutoff between when they think you're going to be at risk of infection. So they want to check you out. And so we went and I was not dilated at all, even being at home 18 hours, feeling some contractions And I thought, sure, I must be. So my husband and I went to the birth center. We could walk there because it was just blocks away. And even though it was January, it was I remember it was 72 degrees on that particular January evening. It was this bizarre, balmy weather going on. And so we walked there and got in. And it was Sunday night. The midwife who was there was not super happy to see us. She just was just kind of cold. And we we're like, wow, really? We met all these great midwives throughout the pregnancy. And we thought we would get one of those. We were kind of hoping there was a couple that we really liked. And she wasn't the one that we had ever met. She was one that, the one that we didn't meet. So she was there. And turned out she only had a few more hours to be on call. And then somebody else was going to take over. But so she examined me and said, okay, well, you're totally closed. And you have a fever. You're not dilated at all. And my husband and I were just crushed, both of us. We just said, okay, well, what does this mean? She said, well, we have to go around the corner and we have to, which was St. Vincent's Hospital in the village. And she said, I can come with you and you'll still have this continu continuity of midwifery care, but we'll need to, you know, get you in augmented or induced at this point. So we walked around the corner and got set up in there and got the Pitocin. And I had had this vision of having this labor where I was at home and then transferring, I would be, you know, nearly fully dilated and not have much time to be in the birth center, but it would be lights low and really dim, maybe in the water. I could be really comfortable and kind of eat if I wanted to. And that nice double bed in there, it was very home-like to have my baby. And that was my only vision. And I had never been in a hospital before as a patient. I had never been admitted for anything in my life. So it was a really foreign environment. It was very scary to me. It conflicted with a pre-knowledge or 
that how you thought that birth would be. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. It was a totally different paradigm from what I was envisioning was going to be. So were you able to pick yourself up mentally? No, no. I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. I think that my husband was... He was the rock there. Mm. He was the one who just stayed really calm and really positive the whole time. And he's just naturally very funny. And so he had a sense of humor throughout it all. The midwife really liked him. They got along right away. And he told her when the new midwife came on, which was a few hours after my induction, he said, I really want to catch my baby. And he said, okay, I'll, I'll get you as involved as you want to be. That's fine when the time comes. And so he said, okay, deal. Was and, that something that you talked about Prior to um, labor starting? Yeah, we had yeah. talked about it, yeah. And he had trained as an EMS like many years prior, and so he felt very comfortable in the hospital. He was with his mom when she was um, she had cancer, and he was with his mom when she passed. And he just felt very comfortable in hospitals, and I didn't. So that really helped me to just feel a little... That support was actually profound. It was the one thing that really got me through was him. Um, and so uh, as I moved through my labor, I got... Actually, once I got the Pitocin, I, I dilated really quickly to four and then moved on um, and then got the epidural. Just that was at that point, I just really needed it. And I never anticipated on having an epidural. That was always a thing. I was just like, no way, no matter what, I'm not going to get an epidural. And boy, was I humbled by that because I definitely needed it. And I believe now it's what got my daughter out safely. And so got the epidural. And then within a couple of hours, I was fully dilated because that relief is so profound mm. um i just like you know we melt i just melted mm. and, you could and opened right up and mm. relaxed my pelvic floor opened right mm. up and she was not big she was five and a half pounds so she kind of oozed right out and the midwife said at the point where her shoulders were out i said okay john you wanted to catch your baby come on down she's here let's do this and so he very eagerly came down he didn't have gloves on or anything or scrubs i remember he was wearing this very light sweater and these light pants and he didn't have a drop of blood in anywhere on him. It was just like, he just did it with it. He just so easily and it was beautiful and he put her on me and yeah, we just um, just were in awe of her for those first few moments. It was really lovely those bonding moments. So I remember my midwife just being there. She had come in and she was just very peppy and energetic and really just a happy energy in the room and she just put this fresh bright red lipstick on and she said as I was pushing her out, I'm backing up a little bit, as I was pushing, she said, I said, I'm nervous. I'm nervous to meet her. I'm, I'm excited, but I'm nervous too. And she said, you think you're nervous now? Wait till she's 16. She asked for the car keys. Then you're going to be nervous. <laughs> <laughs> Always remember that. I was like, okay, I can do this. I'm nervous, but it's fine. She gave you perspective. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was just what I needed to hear. Just a little sense of humor. Other than getting the epidural, how did you cope with the contractions? I didn't move the way I wanted to be able to move. I felt paralyzed by the pain. So mm. as I was initially in the hospital and when they first administered the Pitocin and the contractions weren't that strong yet, I was up. I was upright and I was slow dancing with my husband. I was on all fours. I was doing as much as I could to leverage gravity. But then when it just got so intense, the midwife actually suggested I lay down, which I'm not sure why she did. I think she thought that I was tired, and I probably was. But she said, why don't you try to just lay down on your side? Maybe you can conserve some energy and maybe relax a little bit that way. But that just didn't work. 
they were just too intense. And I have a very, I think, sensitive physiology, and I've attended births with women who have had Pitocin the whole way through, and they've done it without an epidural because it's just copable for whatever reasons. But for me, it just uh, was not manageable at all, especially just with the bright lights. And I mean, they never dimmed the lights down, and there was a lot of people coming in and out. And it was just, I felt unsafe. I felt observed, and I was afraid, too. Being in that environment just... um, it uh, just just being in the hospital alone just felt like there was a pathology attached to my birth now, and it didn't feel good. So yeah, that fear crept in, and and it was it was there, and it was definitely a part of why things were so uncopable for me. Even though I had my husband there supporting me, it, it wasn't enough. I definitely needed to just let go, and I couldn't let go with that deep of a sensation, feeling that much pain. So I think that that was just the magic thing for me was to get the epidural. And that's what really helped me finally relax and get a little bit of therapeutic rest. I think it was just an hour. And then I was having regular, really regular contractions. And then I was complete. I was fully dilated so soon after that. Yeah. And it was time to push. So it felt like a miracle. And I was very grateful. I was grateful for the epidural and grateful for the care and the continuity of care for the midwives and from my husband and my labor nurse was fantastic. She was an angel and I remember her Gretchen still. I just see her face vividly. I just remember her helping me with latching on and just being really reassuring and sweet. Yeah. So it ended up what could have felt like a very traumatic experience was not. It wasn't the birth that I had planned, but so what? right? I got humbled. I got um, um, open to the idea that you have to have a B plan, a C plan. It's not ever, very often anyway, ever going to unfold the way you want it to, the way you envision it. You've got to be receptive to whatever needs to happen for the safety of yourself and your baby. And even if that means a medical intervention that you don't want, it could be a big gift. And it can still end up being a positive experience. Yes, mm. it ended up being, mm. yeah, I mean, initially maybe not, but then as the years have gone on and as I became a doula and had much more perspective about how births go for people, definitely a positive experience. Yeah, really grateful. Mm. I think grateful is is the word that comes to mind most uh, profoundly is just, just gratitude that that it, it happened the way it did and that, that she's here. She's 21 years old now and yeah. And then um, when you became pregnant again, you opted for another way of giving birth. Right, yeah. So I had become a doula. My daughter was 14 months old, and I did this doula training. As I said, very serendipitous that I got introduced to it, this friend of of mine who happened to be doing training. And I didn't know what a doula was, but I did it, and it was just, yeah, it was absolutely what I needed to be doing. And so I dove right into that work, and I did lots of births in those first three years. And then when I became pregnant with my son, by the way, I had nursed my daughter for like four years. I was an extended breastfeeder. I didn't plan to be, but I'm not sure if that's why it took me so long to become pregnant, if I wasn't as fertile as I could have been otherwise, but it took me a while. And I was older. I was at that point 39 Um, But I didn't feel old. I didn't think that that should have been a hindrance. But I was getting a little concerned after three years and I wasn't pregnant. I was like, and what if I can't get pregnant? I really want to have another one. So anyway, I did did, um, end up conceiving finally. And um, I decided before I got pregnant that I wanted to do it at home that time because I had done home births as a doula and I had experienced enough births to see that that I was a good candidate for home birth. 
and people encouraged me to do it as well. And then I met with the midwife who I knew. I hadn't attended birth with her, but I had known her from just being in the, in the circle of birth. And she was just really cool. And she was available in February when I was to give birth. And I didn't necessarily want a midwife who was going to be my best friend or someone was who, who was even in particularly warm and fuzzy. I mean, they talk about the, you want your doula to be really um, approachable and warm. And that wasn't necessarily what I was looking for. My husband and I were... I was thinking I was going to just kind of be my own midwife, my own doula. I wanted somebody who was just a good clinician who could be there in case anything went wrong or in case we needed to transfer. Then she would be the one to make that call, and I wanted that safety net, right? Um, and so my husband had had some experience in a hospital, too. So he, again— and he was fine with you having the baby at home? Initially, he was on the fence, but once he met— Kara, when she came to our house and she broke down everything that she would do in case of an emergency transfer or or whatever the case would have been, she clearly explained to him what the process was going to be at home and what the process for transfer might look like. And so he was really, he went from having his arms folded when she arrived to being really like open and kind of just comfortable in his posture and very chatty with her. And then she left and he's like, well, I guess we're having a home birth. And that was it. And so, yeah, we were looking forward. So bring us back to the day when uh, this labor started. Mm. So with my son, yeah, so he was due on Valentine's Day, the winter. I had two winter babies, January and February, and it was a Saturday. So on the Saturday evening, I had I had sensed that I was going to give birth that weekend. And I had my daughter, Mia, sleeping down the street at her best friend Phoebe's house. So she was very happy to be there. And sure enough, my water broke. And it was 4 a.m. in the morning. So I called my midwife just to check in, let her know, because I knew she'd want to know that. And then she said, okay, go back to bed. If you're tired, go back to sleep. And I was very happy to do that. I wasn't thinking, oh, I should stay up and time the contractions or anything. I was just like so happy to be able to go back to sleep, just snuggle up. Even though my water had broken in a really profound way, it wasn't just like a trickle like with the first labor. It was a pop and a gush. I felt like he like kicked a hole through my water bag like that. Um, but then, yeah, I just put a pad on, went back to sleep, didn't wake up till nine. I slept really deeply till nine in the morning. We were saying we remember that morning being in the kitchen and At the same time, at the same moment, we realized that we were going to have our baby that day. Like within a few hours, probably, he would be here. And we were so anticipating his birth and so excited for the being at home. And we literally jumped up in the air and high-fived. Like it was just, party is starting. Let's do this, right? <laughs> so... Um, so then, yeah, my, my midwife came and she had said she had been outside from like several hours before. She felt like What if, you know, if she goes really quickly, I want to be there. So she was parked outside sleeping in her car. And she came in and set her stuff up. And um, I think my husband made them lunch. And I was not hungry. I was just kind of trying to zone in and feel the contractions. And they were kind of percolating, but there wasn't much going on until around one. Then I felt like what well, was the first really good contraction. And then I just started walking. I was just like pacing on my floor back and forth until I felt like I needed to get into the water. So I had seen over the course of time that I had attended births that water was so medicinal and so helpful because it's gravity enhanced and it's just, just hydrotherapy. You turn the lights down, light a candle, and so that's exactly what I did. I was in there, and I felt like in there I was alone, 
but they were right outside and I could hear them talking and I felt really reassured that they were just chatting and talking and I could hear them laughing. And so I felt like that was safe. That was a safe space that they created for me. I didn't need anyone hovering over me. I felt better actually being my own midwife in that mm. moment, being alone mm. and just experiencing those deep sensations. I was like, bring it on, you know, the bigger, the better. But then and at one this point, was in the bathroom. Or yeah, had you... this, was, this was in the shower. Oh, this yeah, was in this the shower. Yeah, this was when I was still mm-hmm. in the shower. Mm-hmm. And then I remember as that was happening, at one point feeling like I'd, I'd like somebody to come in and just check on me. And at that moment, my husband must have intuited that because he came in. He said, how are you doing? I said, this is feeling really intense. I said, do you think I can do this? And I was just very, just, just this doubt crept in, you know. And he said, of course you can do it. Yeah, absolutely. You're doing it. And then he's thinking to himself, you don't have a choice. <laughs> did he tell you that? He, did, he didn't say that out loud, but he thought later, he told me later, he was like, when you asked me that, I was like, yeah. And I'm thinking, of course you're going to do it. You don't have a choice. Yeah, you're just going one way. You're not going to go back. So, but he was trusting of the process. He never made me feel like he was doubting anything for one second. He was always completely supportive of of, of everything that was going on as the birth unfolded and He had a sense of humor and just levity, and I felt really safe and supported, just energetically. Like, people didn't even have to put their hands on me or say anything. Mm. It was just this energetic reassurance that nobody was afraid. That was just buoyed me up through Mm. the whole thing. Even though safe and secure. I felt safe and Mm. secure. And even though the sensations, and I'm going to say sensations because I don't use the word pain because I I absolutely can't define anything that I experienced in that labor as painful. It was just deep and intense, and there's a difference. I think with pain, when you're saying pain, for me anyway, there's a pathology associated with that word. Because if you know the etymology of the word pain, it's punishment. Right. So that that isn't I don't equate birth with punishment. And I, I never did. But especially in the context of my own labor, it just felt uh, it's it was life bearing and powerful and profound and deep. And there's lots of other adjectives that you can attach to birth. Uh, for me, pain wasn't one of them in that experience. And so then my my other preferred mode of positioning was on all fours. When I got out of the shower, I just went straight to the back room to my daughter's little bedroom, which was really sweet. And the light was coming in as the sun was setting. It was around four in the afternoon on that cold day. And just being on all fours and then oming because I had been doing yoga and that sound, that deep mammalian guttural bellow, that sound of om was just coursing through my body and it was diffusing the sensation of the contraction. So that again, it was like magic. I didn't experience those as pain. I, I felt the trembling and the intensity of it, but I didn't feel it as as pain. It just felt like a sensation. And I was just just receptive to those contractions as they came in. I was just like embracing them and then diffusing them out of my body with the sound of my voice. And then at one point I reached, I'm sure, what was the end of transition and that quietude where after the contractions of that stage of labor stop, then you get that space between um, when the next contractions start, those pushing contractions. So I had that meditational transience, you, you call it, where you know people who are meditators, they commit to meditating for years 
searching for that feeling that laboring women get to have when they're doing it this way without medication particularly. So I've done it both ways. I've done it with an epidural where I didn't get that experience and I've done it without where I did. I got that profound, like my prefrontal cortex was totally offline. I was in a different place and I was entirely in command though. And I remember getting up from, I don't know if I was on all fours or squatting, but the lights were turned out and I said, could you please uh, hand me those matches to my the doula who was there? She, there was a doula there. She was actually coming just to give me a massage and she was going to leave. But I said, please don't leave. Stay here. So she ended up staying. But I lit the match and lit the candle. I still have that candle. It's just this lavender candle. It was the only light in the room. Everything was dark because the sun had set at that point. It was around 5.30. And I said... I remember uttering, okay, thank you all for coming. I love you all so much. Thank you for being here. And I felt like in my head, I was thinking, I'm going down. I'm going to go down to the core of my being, and I'm going to come back up, and I'm going to have a baby. So I felt like it was Persephone's Persephone's descent where she's going down to hell, to the core of her being, and then she's coming back up, and it's springtime. Mm. So that was the metaphor that had been suggested to me a couple years before, and then that that came in too. That's what I'm doing right now. I am Persephone and I'm going down. I'll be back, I think. But I wasn't sure. In my mind, I almost was saying goodbye. And I was saying goodbye to myself, my old self, um, and as somebody who was going to be reborn Mm. as a mother for the second time. That was the profound moment that I, I remember viscerally that, yeah, and being dark. And then the midwife suggesting, okay, let's squat. And it would maybe have been something that I would gone have gone into in, instinctively, but I'm not sure. I think it was really her. That was the one direction I remember her giving me that felt like, okay, I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. And my husband was in back of me, and we had this upholstered rocker that I would lean back into. And as we squatted down, he would sit, and I would be squatting in between his legs, and he'd mm. be supporting me with his strong arms underneath. So like I felt almost. Like you were sitting on a birthing stool. Yeah. But you were holding yourself and yeah, he was helping you. very much mm. like that. But completely supported from the back. Mm. And the midwife was in front of me, but it was dark. So I didn't feel observed. I just felt like safe. And like I was just going to just create this rhythm and keep doing it. And so it was just a matter of a half hour or so before he crowned. And, and she had her flashlight and she was like, okay, I see his head. And then, yeah, he emerged. It was, like, intense. That moment was, like, wow. If I could say anything was painful, as close to, to the word pain, is that that's probably what it was. Just, like, him crowning and then that ring of fire that they talk about. That was just for a few seconds, though. It was it's not long. And then he was here. And she presented him to me. And I just remember the first thing I noticed was his ear. Like yeah. I, I wanted him to have, like, really cute small ears, nice ears like my husband. They don't stick out like mine. And he was adorable. His little ear was just this sweet little ear, just the side of his head. And I was like, oh, I didn't even see his face. It was just his ear and his little bit of his hair in the dark. And so, yeah, I just remember that. I think, oh, good, he has good ears. Oh, that is so funny. <laughs> it's so silly, right? <laughs> and then just seeing his little face and pinnacle life experience, for sure, doing that at home. Yeah, very healing. Um, yeah, just giving birth to a whole new dimension of myself. And this person, this version of you that you met during this birth, yeah, 
Had you met this person before? Yeah. Was it a person that you knew from before? Like, or was it the first time you saw this? No, this part was of a you? person who was totally now in command of her physical body mm. and someone who made a choice that was the right choice, uh, a choice that wasn't fear based, a choice that was made from faith and trust and courage. Um, just something that I've always been as curious and adventurous and passionate and not afraid. It's one of the things that I, maybe I should be more afraid of things, but it's something I really don't have the chip for. And my work, in my work, I tell people that. They say, what is the thing that you bring to births that you think other doulas might not? I said, I'm not afraid for you. So this is what it sounds like, very profound experience. It was yeah. the most profound experience of my life. Yeah. Has it changed the way you look upon yourself and your abilities? Yeah, I think hugely. I think I can do anything if I've done that. I think I can just, yeah, I can do just about anything. Sure, I still have, you know, a crisis of confidence now and then. And yeah, there's things in life that come up that you just, you know, that you, like you can't script a birth and you can't script your life. Things are going to come at bumps in the road. They're just not even expected things that you thought would never happen. And just raising two kids is like, wow. Lots of bumps along the way. Teenage years, I mean, forget it. You know, there's things that happen with, with, with my daughter. And, you know, I know that they're there to teach me, but it was rough. There were some rough times where I was like, why is this happening? Like, I didn't anticipate this. I'm a good mother. You know, it doesn't have anything to do with that, though. She is her own being. She's her own, you know, the creator of her own story. And that's going to have some, some chapters that aren't so pleasant. And we all do. We all have those. So if there was one wisdom you'd like to pass forward to other women preparing for birth, what would that be? Besides trusting yourself and trusting your baby and trusting the process, know that knowledge is power, especially in this city, especially in this culture of birth that we're in now today, that you have to advocate for yourself. And that means asking questions, being curious and being aspirational and being willing. And someone said, you get 100% of what you don't ask for. And that's so true in the course of a pregnancy when you're going to your appointments with your OB. Ask them questions. Ask them how they feel about induction, letting you wait till 41 plus weeks. How do they handle that? How do they deal with induction? Ask them how they feel about you being in a uh, on your back during pushing, can you be off your back and how they feel about that, that you prefer to be on all fours and support physiology and support gravity. And you know, we say this is common sense, but doctors are really ingrained with having women lie in the lithotomy position with their legs up in stirrups, doing these, you know, um, you know this battlefield heroic pushing and making these sounds and counting like it's a sporting event. And this isn't supporting gravity. It's not supporting physiology. It's doing the opposite. Yet, yeah, because ph physiology is that if you are lying like that, you will give birth in an uphill <laughs> right? So <laughs> without help from gravity. Right, so you don't have the support of gravity. But the fact is you can if you advocate and if you're vocal about it and you're just insistent even if you have to be and say, look, it's my patient right to birth in whatever position I want as long as the baby's safe and I'm safe. And if you're tracking heart tones and everything's good, there is no medical reason why I can't be on all fours, even if I have an epidural. Absolutely do it because knowledge is power. It's a cliche, but it's it's a cliche because it's true, especially in, in the birth 
and when you're a birthing woman going into this culture particularly, you're not supported unless you really do the work and advocate for yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your birth stories. Thank you so much for listening. It's been lovely being here. Sharing your wisdom around birth as a very skilled doula. And keep yeah. up the good work you do for the women. Thank you. Yeah, I love it. it I'll keep doing important. it till I'm done. Do it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Positive Birth Story podcast with me, Swedish midwife Åsa Holstein. And thank you, dear Gail, for a lovely and very important talk about the power of birth. I feel so blessed that I get the trust to pass the stories forward. So thank you. If you want to know more about Gail, check out her website at gaillemke.com or her Instagram at doulagail. Having the opportunity to give birth on your conditions is for me all about women's rights. Positive births lays the foundation to strong and confident mothers that will have an impact on society in large. Get the knowledge you need to be your own birth rebellion. Bye for now and I hope you will come back for more episodes.